and we get warm welcome. Good morning, everyone. We're in uh, the sixth week of our uh, authority series. I want to preface what we're going to read a little bit with uh, just kind of framing this thing. We, there's a great book. It's one of my favorite books of all time. It was written in the 17th century by a man by the name of John Bunyan. And the book is entitled uh, uh, The Pilgrim's Progress. And it talks about this incredible uh, allegorical book about the, the journey of a Christian from conversion to glory. And it's an amazing book. Um, recently it was um, made into kind of an a, a animated special in Britain. And instead of calling it The Pilgrim's Progress, they call it The Dangerous Journey. And I, I want you to understand, as we are looking at this issue of authority and your authority in Christ, the reason that we want you to understand your authority is because if you are a Christian, you are on a dangerous journey. That from your conversion to either Jesus returning for you or you going to him, um, there is a battle. There is an onslaught of attack against you. And it is strategic, the way this battle is fought against you. And Paul, in writing in the, the book of Ephesians, in this last chapter, is summarizing all that he's been saying to them. And then he's saying to them, in order for this to be real to you, you have to realize you have a real enemy. He has a real strategy. But Jesus has provided you a real defense. And so these, these verses that we're about to read, I'd like you to take note, particularly of the pieces of the armor that he's going to say that you're to put on. He's going to say, put on the whole armor of God. I want you to notice these pieces because I'm going to present this to you as basically two points. One is exposing the nature of the battle that's against you. And then second, in a way, the grace and the glory of the armor that's been provided for you. So let's read God's word together. Um, I like it when the church reads. There's something special when the church of Jesus begins to read his word together. So let's read God's word. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So Paul uses this word over and over again. Anytime in the Bible a word is repeated, it has extra added significance. He uses the word to stand. That you are not to be passive, you're not to be complacent, you are to stand. And it's an interesting word because it's not the word advance, it's not the word necessarily of initiating, but it's the, the word of, 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 of being firm, of being steadfast, of being immovable. Um, I, I think a lot of times when you watch war movies or, or you read stories of war, the exciting ones are where People have advanced into victory and people have taken hills and charged guns and done all this stuff. But some years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I was uh, by myself in um, Gettysburg and uh, rented the recordings and went monument to monument. Now, many of you probably, having grown up in the Northeast, you probably spend more time thinking about the Revolutionary War, but I grew up in public school in the South, and I had to memorize every battle. I had to memorize all the generals, how many casualties. I would like to have all that brain space back. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy in ninth grade, I'm memorizing all this stuff. 
But when I went to Gettysburg, and I, I toured around, I, I'm very emotionally sensitive and spiritually sensitive to stuff. You could just sense death everywhere. And just the blood of all of these people who had sacrificed themselves in this charge or that charge. And as I was, as I was on that battlefield and feeling just that, that darkness that uh, death had brought, you could realize then to have been able to stand all the way to the end, to have not died, to have not been defeated, to stand would have taken incredible valor. It would have taken courage. It would have taken a character that's so deep and so great that in the face of insurmountable odds and enemies and, and all of the guns and the noise and the confusion, generals crazily saying to you, race that, that hill, run up the, in front of that cannon and do all of that. To have been able to stand was a victory. To be alive was a victory because there were hundreds of thousands who were left behind. And so when Paul says stand, he's saying that there are many of us that the battlefields are strewn with our failure, with our having not stood. And so why is he saying this? Well, it's because the battle that you're engaged with is going to take even more courage and even more valor and even more character than you have. One writer says it this way, Paul is calling you to a princely spirit. And when, it, when he meets princely, it's not like Disney and one day my prince will come kind of a thing. What he means by that is someone who understands their authority. Someone who understands you've been given a principality. You are the prince over your principality. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. God has given you the authority over a principality. And whether you call yourself princess or prince, it doesn't mean you get to dress in pretty dresses. It means you've got to have your armor on. And you've got to be able to say, this is my assignment. You know, the other day I said, God gave you a garden. Today I'm telling you, He gave you a principality. And over that principality, you are to rule and to reign. But to rule and reign, you have to reign in his spirit through your spirit. Yeah. Not only did he give you a principality, but he gave you authority, and it's a kingly authority because it's the authority of the king. Whenever you are operating in your authority as a, as a follower of Christ, as a believer, as a son or daughter of the Most High God, you are operating in the king's authority. Just think we're about to you know, come upon Palm Sunday. And it's always amazed me that, that saying where Jesus says, I'm going to send you into the city and you're going to go to this guy and you're going to say to him, to this guy who has a colt, a, a donkey's colt, and you're going to say to him, the Lord has need of him. And the guy gives it to him. I don't see any money exchanged. There's no rent-a-donkey. <laughs> you know, and he, he says, and he gives it to him. Why? Because the king had called for his horse. And they were given the permission to speak on behalf of the king, and the donkey had to come. And the other thing is this, if you ever thought about it, it's an unbroken, a colt is an unbroken donkey. But even that unbroken colt knew his king. You see, you have been given a princely, a princely spirit. Whether you're, it's male or female, it's, it's, it's the highest of levels. Uh, and you've been given the king's authority. Now, I don't think Paul likes war. There's no glorifying of war in the writings of Paul. But what he's doing in using the military analogy, he's saying, I have to use an analogy that will show you how serious this battle is. There is no more serious one than to realize that Paul is saying, you're going into battle. There is an enemy who is real. He's coming after you. Right. The truth is, whether you realize it or not, there's an assignment against you. Just as you've been given a principality, some other low-level, at least, demon has made an assignment to keep you from ruling and reigning in your principality. 
and who wants to take away your courage, destroy your valor, and expose the deficits of your character. And so this battle is real. So it takes, what, G, what Paul says here is it takes all the benefits that Christ has accomplished for you and you beginning to apply them in your life. Let me illustrate it in this way. C.S. Lewis was asked about his faith in, in Christ, about his Christianity. And he said, I look at my, I believe in my Christianity like I believe in the rising sun. I not only see the rising sun, but I see everything because of it and everything through it. You see, what Paul is trying to get you to understand is that he wants you to see everything through what Christ has accomplished for you and then to interpret the reality of your life by that truth. But what happens to most of us is we tend to see God through our circumstances. For example, if there's not enough money, then God, why aren't you giving me more money? Or if I'm sick, why, God, are you letting me be sick? If you love me, you would not let these things happen. If I look at God through my circumstances, God will always be blurry. But if I look at my circumstances through God, now not only do I see Him clearly, but I begin to see my circumstances clearly. When I'm faced with challenges, I don't say, God, why did you let this happen to me? Instead, I look at that circumstance through the eyes of the very armor of God, of the very person of God, and the truth of God. And I say to that circumstance, if God is for me, who can be against me? I say to that circumstance, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the same circumstance but it's everything to do with how I'm looking at it. And what I find is many, many Christians do not know how to look at their circumstances through their armor. But rather, they're trying to look at God through these circumstances and define Him or manipulate Him or leverage Him. If you do that, the battle's already lost. Now, here's the nature of the battle that we're fighting against. The battle is not fought, Paul says, on an earthly plane, but rather in a heavenly realm. You, you may have trouble believing this, but what the Bible teaches is right now in this room, there is an intersection of the spiritual realm where demons and angels are warring right here with us. Now, you and I may think that our fight is against our bosses, our family, or our fight is against these enemies that we have who have flesh and blood, but the Scripture says that your fight is actually against a supernatural reality and realm. And that supernatural re reality and realm is where also all of your resources are to fight and to win, because you will not win in the heavenly realm because you're good looking. You will not win in the heavenly realm because you're talented. You will not win in the heavenly realm because you're gifted. As a matter of fact, all of those strengths can become liabilities in the heavenly realm because pride goes before fall. Are you tracking with me a little bit? Here? So the heavenly realm where you, re you either fail or or have victory in the heavenly realm, you can only do battle and you can only be resourced by heavenly resources. And so Jesus has accomplished for you what Paul says. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in high places, in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. When you begin to realize that this battle is not about your talent, your gifts, your strengths, your looks, and uh, well, how much money you have and how good your job is, when you realize that, then you're able to access all the resources that are already on your account. But as long as you keep thinking the battle is your mortgage or your rent, or you think the battle is your popularity, as long as he can deceive you to fight on a physical realm, you will lose in the heavenly realm. At least two of you like it. 
I'll take it. Listen, do you not realize, as, as we've been going through this series together, as you go through your scripture together, that this is the most ironic and crazy thing? That God has raised you up with Christ? You know you. You're not good. You're an idiot. You do the stupidest things. The very things you don't want to do are the things you do, and the things you would want to do aren't the things you do. I mean, it is the irony of the ages that you are raised up and seated right hand, right now at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. And you are far above all rule and earthly authority. There's not a demon above you unless you let them. Because you believe their lies. There's not a demon who cannot be under your foot. Because they're already under Jesus' feet. But this is the fascinating thing. I grew up in a church, a very religious church, where everybody thought they were good people. No, they didn't think they were good people. They thought they were better than people. Okay, they were better than the Baptists. They were better than the Pentecostals. They were better than the Catholics. And so everybody postured themselves like they were good people. And so they also only allowed certain people into the church, certain races into the church, and all of these kind of things because they never got this. This is hilarious that any of us are included because we are all so broken. We are all so evil. Christ had to pay the ultimate punishment for our sins, but we are also so loved that he chose to do it. And when we get this, when we as the church get that it's not because I'm good, it's because I'm bad. It's because I'm broken. It's because I'm bankrupt. He did this for me, and by faith I receive it from him. And then, you see, I don't look over at you and go, well, I'm better than you. Because, I mean, can you imagine this? I'm a better class of sinner than you are. Oh, we say these stupid things that creates, come straight from demons. At least I don't do that. That's straight from hell, friends. Comparison will never justify you. It'll only crucify you, truthfully. Because you'll begin, you'll begin to believe something about yourself that's not true. But we should all laugh when we look at each other and go, you mean you're seated in the heavenly places above the demons? I know you. This is, this is to the glory of God's grace that you are included. I mean, anytime you start getting uppity and snippety, we should just laugh at each other. And realize God has this sense of humor to include you in his eternal plan. But not only that, friends. God has staked his entire wisdom on you. This is what Ephesians said. It says, he did this. He saved you. He gave you authority. He placed you in the position to use the king's authority so as to show his wisdom to a watching heavenly realm. Do you understand what this says? It means, even if you think nobody cares, even if you think nobody's watching, the Bible says the entire heavenly realm is watching to see you manifest the wisdom of God. And God has staked his reputation on us. Do you not understand how deep that is? When you realize that your life really counts. God has said, I'm entrusting the most precious thing, my grace, my glory, my righteousness, my holiness, my love, all of this, I'm entrusting it into your life. I've deposited it there. And you don't realize this. Many of you have not still caught this concept that who you are now and what you have in 
Jesus is so much better than any other generation has ever had it. In the Old Testament, they had the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of Trinity. And everything the Father is and everything the Son is, that's who the Holy Spirit is. But something fundamental changed, even in the Trinity, with the incarnation of Christ. God, who was fully God, became fully man. And when he became fully man, Jesus now, as the Son of God, but also as fully a human, sits at the right hand of God, not losing his humanity, but in his glorified humanity, as well as the fullness of his being God the Son. That is an awesome and amazing thing. That's why when you go to the throne of grace, you're not going to some distant, absent God. You're going to the very one who's gone through everything you've gone through. And when he sent his spirit, he didn't just send the spirit in the same way he was sent in the Old Testament. When he sends his spirit, he, spent, he sends the spirit of Christ, the Christ who was incarnate and knows everything it is to have a body like yours. The Christ who knows everything it is to go against the very wiles and schemes of Satan. The Christ who himself was obedient even to the point of death, even rejected by his own people and his own followers. You think you've known rejection? You've never known the rejection he has known. He was forsaken by his own father. So that you never have to be. And then it says, you died with him. You're raised with him. And right now, if you have his Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, then the very Spirit who went through all of that, and the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. fascinating to me sometimes when people are praying and you go let's 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 spend some time giving thanks and you get almost silence and then people scramble and they go oh god thank you for the bacon this morning you know or thank you for the sun rising oh thank you that it's going to be spring in a year uh you know and you're like do you not know do you not understand what has happened for you and to you and with you? Why would it be that a Christian would ever be slow to say, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I had no heritage, but now I have an eternal heritage. How can it be that a Christian could not say, he got what I deserve, so now I get what he deserves? Why is that not on our lips? And in our tongue, why are we scrambling to think of something we're grateful for? It is because, friends, we don't understand the nature of the battle. And we don't understand how to put on the armor. And we don't take these things seriously. All right, I'm going to keep going. It's going to get worse. All right. See, this battle is fought in a realm. It's a new realm and it's a realm of opposition. And it is very structured. Um, let me tell you a little of my story in this. Just here, coming to Risen King from Atlanta, Georgia. When I turned the key on my house, I was leaving Lisa and the kids to come later in 2004. Uh, it was just Anna at that point, but I was leaving them to come later. She was going to finish up selling the house and I came on and started here in March of 2004. And when I closed the door and locked it, a voice spoke to me. And it was an audible voice. And it said, we are letting you leave because you will never have any effect in New York. We are letting you leave because we're, we know you cannot make any impact in New York. That was the... That was the word that was spoken to me as I left. Now, obviously, friends, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. So I get here and my first Sunday, and I preach, my first Sunday that I preach, a little old lady comes up to me, and she goes, 
I like your accent, but you won't last a year. Interesting, right? Okay, I heard the voice audibly just in the air. Now I'm hearing it from somebody in the church who's telling me threatening and intimidating to me. You understand? There's a battle. The, the, main, the main weapon of the battle is intimidation. Now what Paul explains about this battle, this battle that comes when you least expect it, this battle that is an oppositional battle of one realm against another realm, is that there are, there's a hierarchy in this realm. Okay? There, he calls them principalities. That's demons who have authority or power over certain territories. And there are powers. There are certain aspects of those demons that are like the benefits that they give. So in the, the city of Ephesus, which was a very demonized city, in the city of Ephesus, there was a, a huge kind of uh, business and stuff that came from divination. Being able to divine, being able to be mediums, being able to speak from the spiritual realm. And that spirit was called a python spirit. It's actually in Greek, it's pythos, from which we get the word python. All right? So, in 2010, now, again, I tried to freak you out with the one that they're watching you, but I'm about to tell you something that may make you not want to be with me. Okay? So, here's what happened. Began to realize that we had had success against low-level demons here. We were seeing a lot of people delivered. We were seeing a lot of people get set free. So, instead of... Now dealing with low level, we started dealing with territorial spirits. And one of the major territorial spirits over this area, just like over Ephesus, is a python spirit. It's a spirit of divination because you have a lot of witchcraft here, you have a lot of sexual immorality, you have people who are materialistic, greedy, racism, you have all of these things, and this is an empowering evil spirit. And it is over Rockland County. So I, I kind of sensed that we were seeing some of this, but when I got malaria, I got a bad form of malaria in Africa. I, I, was, I could have died. It saturated my blood. It gave me 106 degree fever for, for like five, six days. All kinds of stuff was happening. But here was the experience. I would feel something wrap around my abdomen. And then it would begin to squeeze. What does that sound like? Like a snake. And then the pain would ruminate from my abdomen all the way up to my teeth, and it would begin to just shatter and shake my teeth. I would just could not, I was uncontrollable pain. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is this? Because none of the medicines were doing anything to help it whatsoever. And I know you can, you can discount me on this, but this was my experience. I asked the Lord, and the Lord said, this is the spirit that's over Rockland County. And it is battling you because of the effect and the impact that Risen King and the work that I want to do through you is being made. And he said, he said but it cannot kill you. So this is a very, I hate pain, friends. I do not suffer silently or anything else. Um, I hate pain. But what happened is it would come and it would just be excruciating pain and, it would, and I'd be going through it and all of a sudden a courage would come up within me and, a, and a, a feeling of confidence and I would go, is that the best you can do? Because you see, what it was trying to do was to get me to back off. It was trying to get me to back down. But the problem was it stirred up something inside of me that doubled my efforts and made me go, well, if you can't kill me, then I'm going to destroy you. And things started to change as I, you know, I, I had numerous people from the church who prayed through the night for me, my wife the elders, my friend Ron Walborn, it took prayer to overcome, and it wasn't just my prayers. 
But, but as it was overcome, I had such energy and excitement and joy about what God was doing in Rockland County and what God was doing here at Risen King. And the vision was just so clear to me. So instead of intimidating me, it actually inspired me. And it began to motivate me. I said, if this is this evil thing that is choking the people's hearts and lives, then we got to win this battle. Is this making any sense to you? So you see, you begin to realize that these conflicts come in unexpected ways. Could be your family, could be your church, could be your job, could be any of those things. And what Paul says is you have to be prepared for the evil day. And the evil day, we could define it this way. The evil day is the day when what tempts you meets with what you desire secretly and then what you have an opportunity to actually experience. For example, you may have a man who's wandering in his eye and his thought from his marriage. So he has a desire. So the enemy comes and tempts him to go and find sexual fulfillment outside of his marriage. But the evil day is when the opportunity avails itself where he thinks he won't get caught. You understand? You don't put your armor on in the middle of that. You're like, hold on, Satan, just for a minute. I'm going to put my armor on now. That'd be like you know, being in a battle and your enemies are coming and say, wait, guys, time out. Don't, don't, you know, don't shoot the gun yet. I don't have my armor on. The enemy goes, that's just the way I wanted you. I wanted to catch you like this. You understand, every one of us in this room, we have had evil days. And the problem for some of us is we want to think it's those big, huge days. We actually do pretty good on the big days. Where we do bad is on the tired days on the lonely days, on the days when we're angry and upset and disappointed, because then it seems like the enemy says, this is my opportunity. So what Paul is saying here is the nature of this battle is such that you better know your enemy and you better be putting your armor on more often than you realize. He has supernatural power. There's an organizational strategy and your struggle is against spiritual forces of evil. One writer says it this way, you have an evil enemy who has an evil disposition. There is no grace of Satan. So the idea then is, have you realized then that you can't be passive without disastrous consequences? Why does Paul say stand? Because he's saying you can't be complacent. You can't fight with the weapons of this world. But the Bible says the weapons that God has given to us are divinely appointed for the tearing down of strongholds. And when you are in the armor of God, no weapon fashioned against you can prosper. See, uh, let, me, let me just hit, I'm going to hit one more soapbox here, friends. We are called not to cope, but to overcome. I love counseling. I love, I love the idea of therapy and helping people untangle the tangles of their life. But I do not like the secular idea that the best you can do is find a better coping mechanism. You see, uh, coping in, in its essence is lying. This lie is better than that lie. For example, somebody said, well, workaholism is better than alcoholism, but they're both killing you. And so the call of God is to be free. Somebody says to me, well, I just need something so I can restrain my anger. No, I want something to be free from it. You know, it wasn't for coping that Christ set you coping. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, if all I'm doing is restraining myself, I'm not free. If all I'm doing is just you know, trying to get compliance. I'm not free. And look, God is not scared of you. He's not scared of the lust that's in your heart. He's not scared of the anger that's there. He's not scared of the depression. We might be because we don't know how to help you sometimes. But your Savior is not afraid of you. So you can be truthful with Him like you can be with nobody else. 
You can say I'm losing it with him and it does not hurt his feelings because he already knew it. Are you tracking with me on that? You will not, friends, you'll not be free without being truthful and honest. It's the truth that sets you free. All right, so what's this armor? I want to give you the armor in three principles. Will you stay with me? I have to talk fast. And I did grow up in Mississippi, so that's a problem for me. <laughs> the first principle of the armor is this. It is completely trustworthy. The armor never fails. I may fail to put it on, but it never fails. Why is that? Because the armor is Christ Himself. In Ephesians, it says, put on the whole armor. In Colossians, it says, clothe yourself in Christ. The armor of God. It's not my armor. See, whose armor is it? It's the armor of God. It's perfectly suited for you. See, if you try to put on somebody else's armor, it won't fit. It'd be like David trying to carry Saul's armor when Saul was twice as big as David. And he said, it's not a fit. And he took it off. But when he went into battle with Goliath, he had the armor of God. He was ready. Okay, you and I, you and I need to take all that Jesus has accomplished for us and begin to live in that armor. For example, it's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness that's your breastplate. I had a pastor come up to me. He'd been a pastor for more than 20 years. He said, my life's not going very well. My ministry's not going very well. I said, well, I feel confusion with you. Let's just put on the armor of God together. So I went through and we said, I put on, and we, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I said to him, let's say this out loud, Jesus, you are my righteousness. He's like, wait a minute. Hold it. What? Are you, what? This guy had been a pastor for over 20 years. He thought his breastplate was his righteousness. So he had been putting on his righteousness in order to protect himself and to minister. I'm like, dude, your righteousness is a filthy rag. Your righteousness is porous. There is not a spot the enemy can't attack through your righteousness. It's only the righteousness of Christ that will protect you. It's only when you recognize that He who knew no sin became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, as you begin to appropriate His righteousness, your own life starts to conform and you become the wisdom manifest of God to the demons. That was pretty good. I don't know if I can say it that way again. Are you hearing me? You understand, if you're, and the enemy may be trying to get you out of, the, out of the box right now. But here's the deal. If you get this, and you're, let's say you're the least effective Christian in this room, but suddenly you realize that doesn't even matter. All that matters is I am one Christian who can appropriate that Christ's righteousness is sufficient to protect me. Then suddenly your life turns around. And instead of being religious and trying to be moral, you are just relating with intimacy to Christ who is your righteousness. And before long, being with him rubs off on you and you become more like him. Intimacy creates righteousness. Whoever you're intimate, you become like them. It's not your personal truth. It's not just religious truth. He said, I am the truth. It's not just, it's not your faithfulness. This is the great thing about the armor. You could have failed, fallen flat on your face, but when you lift up the shield, it's not the shield of your faithfulness. It's the shield of the faithful one. I'm protected. It's not good shoes. It's the shoes of the gospel of peace. It's the shoes of the finished work of Jesus that you have realized. I have peace with God because of Christ. And then as you walk in those shoes, you have the peace of Christ. But even more than that, this this truth is so powerful to me because it says Christ has become our peace. He has broken down the dividing wall between male and female Greek and Jew, between slave and free, so that all of us are one. Not only do I have peace with God and the peace of God, but I have peace with you. 
Because it's not based on what my heritage is or my nationality or my background or anything else. It's based on the fact that because Jesus broke down the wall between me and Him, He's broken down the wall between me and you, and you and I are one. And I may, I, I may lose sight of that, and you may lose sight of that, but the reality is still true, even when we believe a lie, that you and I are one. And we are one for eternity. You are, whether you like it or not, you're my family. Man, it's amazing when you start to realize what this armor means. Yes, you can hurt my feelings, but because you're family, we can forgive. Yeah, sometimes you can disappoint me, but yeah, but I can, because we're family, I can speak the truth in love to you because I don't just want to get my way, I want to develop you. It's a reliable armor. It's proven Jesus stood up to Satan in his armor. And you know what he used? He ransacked the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. He ransacked the Word of God. And though Satan came after him time after time, not a single word fell to the ground as Jesus used the Word of God as an offensive weapon against the lies of the enemy. It is written, he said. So you don't make something true by believing it. It's either true or it's not true. A lie is still not true even if you believe it. But the truth can only be activated and can only be an offensive weapon if you believe it and appropriate. You will know the truth, but know there as you will apply it, you will live in it, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All right, one more thing before we put the armor on. Stay with me. I know it's hot, but it's hot in battle, friends. Just one more point before we put the armor on together. Paul does not intend you to wear it alone. When he says, put on the armor of God, he's saying, you all, you all. Now, let me explain why that's so important. This shield of faith that you have to protect yourself, because these are defensive weapons, the shield of faith is not some little King Arthur's court jousting shield. It is a four-foot-tall, two-foot-wide shield that is only effective if the guy next to you has one and the guy behind you has one because you've got to be able to be covered in the front, covered over the top, covered by the sides, and covered in the back. And the reason for that is the most offensive weapon that the enemy had were arrows that they would, they would fill with tar, light them up, and then shoot them into you. But if you had that shield and it was properly positioned and your company was in sync together, not a single flaming arrow could penetrate even if the weapon was well done. You know what's happening? Is some of us have our shield up and others don't. So the enemy is shooting arrows into us, around us and all, because we are not putting the armor on. We are not standing together. It is not you alone. Satan wants to isolate you like a coal from the fire and let the fire go out. You are really only protected if you are connected. Can you say that one? Because I think that's a good one. You're only protected if you're connected. You can't just come and sit in a chair once a month, Christmas and Easter. You got to get connected. Because their shield is what will keep you safe. Are you with me on this? You hear it? All right, let's stand together. I know it's a long day, and it's the spring forward day. But this is the day to put your armor on. There's six pieces of armor. Six pieces. We're going to put them on together like we're in Sunday school. All right, so take your, you know, loosen up. Come on, loosen up. Get a little prophetic here. All right? The first, the first piece is truth. Why is it so important? Why is it called the belt? Because the Roman soldiers' entire armor depended on the belt. If the belt wasn't in place, the breastplate would flap and would not protect the person. If the belt was not in place, there was no place to put your sword. You couldn't run, you couldn't fight. So the belt 
of truth. The truth is what holds everything together. If what you're believing is a lie, what you're feeling is not real. But if what you believe is true, your feelings will be healed and it will follow. All right? So let's, let's do this together. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. I put on the belt, on the belt. of truth. Of truth. Jesus, Jesus is the truth. Is the truth. Now, let me just say, this is Sunday school, so the right answer is going to be Jesus every time. All right? All right, so put on the, we're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Ready? I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. Come on, let that sink in. You might be the chief of sinners in this room, but His righteousness is what covers you. And if you think you're the chief of good people in this room, you don't need it. So get real. Either you need it or you don't. I need it. I need it. I cannot protect myself. I cannot defend myself. I have way too many secrets and shame. I've tried to get them all up, but at the same time, I don't tell every person I ever meet all my secrets, but the enemy knows them all. And so it has to be his righteousness. This is, you see, a frontal attack where he comes at you. Okay, now I'm not going to bend over because I'm old, but I'm going to lift my foot up to myself, all right? All right, so I'm going to put on the gospel shoes of peace. Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my peace. My peace with God. My peace with God. My peace of God. My peace of God. And my peace with others. And my peace with others. You know, I, I know I'm gonna get in trouble because we're running late, but I see prophetically in the spirit right now the walls between races coming down. I see the walls between language and tradition. And things that have kept us from each other and and offending each other, I see them coming down because Jesus has brought down the dividing wall. I see, I mean, if you'll let it, I believe the wall of generations is coming down. The, The wall of socioeconomics coming down. Because we are those who recognize that this war is not a physical war, it's a spiritual war. And that our peace is not because we just tolerate each other, but because we are one in Christ. Let it come. Would you let that come? Now, together, remember it's corporate. The shield of faith. I I lift up the shield of faith faith with which I extinguish extinguish all the fiery darts darts of the evil one. one. Jesus Jesus is the faithful one. He is my protector, my defender. I will not defend or protect myself. I will trust His protection and defense. Now take up the sword in the other hand, whichever one is your sword hand. Now here's, here's what, this, this is what putting on armor means, is that you're beginning to use the Word of God as an offensive weapon. Not only defending against the enemy, but beginning to speak truth to your own soul. I take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. Now, what I see, I see the warriors coming out. I see it. I mean, you can be a sweet warrior, tender, a gentle warrior, but there has to be a part of you that has a spiritual backbone that says, you will not pass. You will not, I, you will not get past me. But in order to do that, now here's what I want you to do, is take your arms, I know it's kind of funny, but like you're, you're gathering a bushel basket. You're gathering all, all kinds of goodness in and what we're going to do is we're going to say this together. I receive, I receive all, the of the all the prayers of the Spirit, all the prayers of intercession, all the prayers of, intercession, 
that Jesus my high priest is making. And I join my prayers with their prayers. Now hear, hear me on this for just a minute. God likes to work in threes. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. God likes to work in threes. There's a trinity of prayer. Jesus is already praying for you. The Son of God, fully human, fully God, glorified, at the right hand of God, interceding, praying for you right now. The Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, praying for you right now within your own spirit, with, with groanings too deep for words. But that's only two. The third is you. When you do what Paul is saying and you connect your prayer life to your armor and your armor to your prayer life, you join into the trinity of prayer. Before we go today, could you speak these words with me? I thought they were very powerful. Number, where it says number two. Oh, did I forget helmet? Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I did forget helmet. I got excited. Thank you for that. Okay, that's very important, the helmet. Let's put the helmet on. I put on the helmet of salvation. Jesus is my Savior. Now, as you keep that helmet on for a second, do this. Remember this. The battle starts in the mind. Martin Luther said it this way. I think it was Luther first, but he said, the birds fly overhead, but you don't have to let them make a nest in your hair. And so the idea is thoughts come, but they're not all true. And you don't have to keep them if they're lies. And the scripture says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Gird up your mind. Renew your mind. Be transformed. So the battle begins here. Say it one more time. Take the helmet of salvation. I gird up my mind for battle. I take every thought captive. And Jesus has given me the mind of Christ. Now, the last thing I want to do is just this, this prayer at the end. And it's the realization this battle is real. It will not be won without prayer. So I love this prayer. It says, forgive me for the way I've looked at prayer as though it were insignificant and optional. I choose to take it seriously. I realize that you have made this my point of contact with you. Teach me to pray. Can we say that together? Forgive me for the way I have looked at prayer as though it were insignificant and optional. I choose to take it seriously. I realize that you have made this my point of contact with you. Teach me to pray. Amen? God bless you. Look, would you do this? Uh, you can use the, the notes that are on our, our website. Would you say the armor for 40 days in a row? 40 days in a row, you will see clarity come. 40 days in a row. Would you make that commitment to me? That each morning or whenever you begin the day, you begin with the armor. And you just put it on just like we just did. God bless you. We'll see you next week.